Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I hope you're having a fine, whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay, I guess. This is a little meta, but I've been having trouble thinking of things to say in these uh, little opening rambly bits lately. I mean, I've done like 170-some of them, if you count the Teen Titan Wasteland episodes, which I do. So I guess if the whimsy well is starting to run dry, that's kind of understandable. Man, you know who's got it easy? Parents. It's my understanding that kids say the darndest things for free. And here, I am trying to come up with darned things to say on my own like a fucking schmuck. Maybe I should have some kids. Nah. I mean, I'm not going to rule it out as a possibility. I'm just saying that intellectual property theft probably isn't the best motivation for parenthood. Although it worked for Bill Keen and his hilarious family circus comics. I'll just have to come up with another darned thing to say on my own. Okay, um... What if somebody thought a members-only jacket was just a jacket with pictures of dongs all over it? Yeah, that's pretty darned. I guess what keeps it from being the darndest would be that uh, members-only jackets aren't exactly a topical fashion reference, and also only serial killers call dongs members. But, I don't know, it's still pretty darned. It's a darndish thing. Hub says the darndish things. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Bridger Bishop. When it comes to sweet sideburns, he tops the list. So let's hear about Jericho in the synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Bridger. Now I kind of wish this was a more Jericho-centric synopsis. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 47, October 1984. Final Conflict. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Bob LaPan, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call, Wonder Girl, Jericho, Starfire, Nightwing, Raven, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Aqua Girl, and Shirtless Aqualad. Hooray! Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. Emotionally distraught over the team's betrayal at the hands of Terra and the duplicitous dirt distributor's subsequent demise, Beast Boy embarked on some solo crime-fighting capers during which he viciously mauled a series of evildoers. Cyborg expressed concern over the verdant vigilante's increasingly violent escapades and sought to confront his suddenly sanguinary squadmate, but the enraged Emerald Adolescent was alarmingly elusive. Cyborg wasn't the only person seeking the company of that chimeric crime fighter. A mysterious visitor with a pronounced British accent showed up at Gar Logan's palatial estate inquiring after the green teen, only to be informed that Beast Boy's whereabouts were unknown. Meanwhile, the rest of the Titans had teamed up with Aqua Girl and Aqualad on an undersea adventure. Hooray! 
The damp duo of deep-sea do-gooders had arrived at the Titan Tower in a state of distress and informed our titular Titanic teens that the assholes of Hive, the Hierarchy of International Vengeance and Eliminations, an evil organization that despite what the name would imply, claimed not to be dedicated to the ranking of spicy poops from around the world, was involved in some apocalyptical underwater antics. The bad news was that the spicy poop rankers were endangering Atlantis and tried to blow up Aqualad and Aquagirl. The good news was that they had succeeded only in blowing up Aqualad's shirt. Hooray! The now topless Titan alumnus and his partner Aquagirl swam ahead of the Titan submarine and led the rest of the team to Hive's hidden headquarters on the ocean floor. Our heroes were ambushed by a horde of Hive henchmen who were commanded by the never-before-seen Hive Commander, a surprisingly saccharine supervillainess who had apparently been the poop ranker-in-chief for quite some time now. When one of the Hive Commander's minions injured Aquagirl, Raven freaked the fuck out and savagely attacked the rank-and-file rankers of poop in a mystical assault that threatened to release the Azerathian's demonic bad dad Trigon from his current imprisonment in his daughter's bird-shaped soul tummy. Fortunately, the enraged avian-themed empath was snapped out of her fugue state by the overwhelming remorse she felt for accidentally shoving a shirtless Aqualad during the outburst. Ashamed that her uncontrollable rage might have inadvertently led to the scuffing of a sea-strengthened shin, Raven decided to go wait in the submarine for the remainder of the mission. Once order was restored, Nightwing decided to get back to basics and engage in some classic Teen Titans activities, like walking heedlessly into an obvious trap. Classic. The Titans inadvertently allowed themselves to be herded into a dome-shaped room along with one of the low-ranking hive hench people, a purple-robed reprobate known only as number 32. The doors to the room sealed and the hive commander mused to herself with apparent regret that number 32's life was acceptable collateral damage. With a smile of satisfaction, the head honcho of Hive pressed a button that launched our imprisoned protagonist as a projectile, which once it had reached a safe distance from the headquarters, detonated in a deadly explosion. Gad Zooks! Is this the end of our titular teenagers? Will Aqualad ever find his shirt? And just why does Hive want to murder our heroes in the first place? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Nope. Not in this issue, he doesn't. Hooray. And I guess to make the organization, whose very existence has always been a closely guarded secret, more famous... The Hive Queen gathers her top drones and asks them to join her in a celebratory toast. She informs them that she has a serious case of good vibes right now, and congratulates them on the super great job they did in helping her kill the Titans. Before she gets the chance to present them with their bonuses for exceeding their quarterly projections in teenage murder, purple-robed poop ranker number 45 interrupts the toast to inform his boss that she might want to look out the window. Jeez. Way to kill the mood, number 45. Reluctantly, the Hive Commander puts down her drink and does as her subordinate suggests. When she does so, she sees that a familiar-looking giant glowing black bird shape is hovering in the water right where the Teen Titans were allegedly exploded to death. Uh Uh-oh. From the expression on her face, it is apparent that despite the dove that occasionally perches on her outstretched finger, in this instance at least, the Hive Commander is not a bird lover. 
Turns out that when she went to go wait out in the sub last issue, the Titans must have forgotten to leave the radio on for her, because Raven got bored and decided to go check on her teammates. Good thing she did, too. The embattled Azerathian empath managed to rescue her costumed compatriots just before they exploded, sealing them safely, if not comfortably, inside the cold, dark plane of existence to which her soul self is a conduit. Her post-pubescent pals are grateful for Raven's intervention, but are starting to get a little bit chilly, especially Aqualad, who, as I may have mentioned, seems to have misplaced his shirt. Hooray. Aquagirl and Aqualad launch themselves from the confines of Raven's soul self like two torpedoes, one of which is shirtless, and punch their way through the hull of the Hive headquarters. Once the walls have been breached, Raven swims over and expands her avian avatar until it covers the hole that the two marine teens have just created. Then she drops her teammates off inside before returning to her human form. When she has dropped off her pals in the depths of the enemy fortress, Raven teleports herself back to the Titan submarine. Presumably this time she snagged the keys from Dick so that she can listen to the cure or whatever. Hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a neat plan and far be it for me to backseat Magic Giant Bird. But it seems like it might have been a little easier for Raven to just teleport the gang into the sea base, seeing as that's a thing she can do and all. But hey, I guess shooting her teammates like projectiles and then turning her soul into an underwater fix-a-flat works too, so whatever. Once they are inside, Starfire uses her space laser blast to incinerate a bunch of hive henchmen. She's like, you know how I don't usually use my powers to kill people? Well, I think I'm just going to kill these guys after all. Nightwing is like, now, honey, I think we should try not to kill people unless we really can't avoid it. Starfire's like, Agree to disagree. Fair enough. Hive henchman number 32, who I guess hitched a ride with the Titans in Raven's soul tummy, is feeling a little sore about the whole Hive Queen deciding his death was acceptable collateral damage thing. He offers to lead the team to the control room. Nightwing isn't sure if he can trust 32, and he thinks it might be a trap. So, naturally, he accepts. It's kind of reassuring to know that despite his fancy new clothes, Dick Grayson is still gonna Dick Grayson it up. Hey, I wonder how Beast Boy's doing back in New York. Well, seeing as he's sitting alone in the Titan Tower yelling at a full-size poster of Terra that the Teen Titans still have lying around for some reason, I'd say how he's doing is not great. Cyborg shows up, so Gar takes a break from yelling at the poster and starts yelling at Vic instead. Well, I guess yelling at alive people is probably more constructive than yelling at dead people, so that's progress. I mean, it's Beast Boy, so I'll take what I can get. As he yells and whines, the anamorphic adolescent shapeshifts into an array of animal avatars to help him express his frustrations. Oh, Beast Boy, don't you realize that when it comes to being overly emotional and petulant, you are already in the perfect form all along, that of a wealthy teenage boy. Gar has just assumed the shape of a particularly sulky tiger when he hears a familiar voice chiding him for his self-pity. The voice belongs to the mysterious stranger with the cockney British accent who was looking for Gar last issue. And just who is this enigmatic Brit? The Mad Mod? Robin Leach? Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins? Sadly, it is none of those. It is Beast Boy's old girlfriend, Jillian, who we met in the Tales of the New Teen Titans miniseries. Ah, of course, Jillian. Only, Jillian isn't British. What's with the accent? Jillian explains that she has just returned from the finishing school that her dad sent her to in London. Oh, man. 
She spends a couple of months in England and comes back with a full-blown accent. You know what? She and Gar are perfect for each other. Meanwhile, back underwater, the hive leader keeps sending wave after wave of spicy poop rankers after our heroes, and Starfire keeps murdering them with her laser fists. The rest of the Titans get in on the henchmen fighting as well, although in an apparently less lethal manner. The Hive Queen pushes a button that makes some robot tentacles shoot out of the wall and electrocute Starfire, which knocks her out. Before the other Titans even get a chance to try to wake her up, Jericho uses his creepy ghost powers to climb inside her body and start wearing it around. It's kind of unsettling. I mean, I was okay with it when he made Dick do a funny dance and punch himself in the face, but that was in service to a really solid why-are-you-hitting-yourself bit. As Wonder Girl, Aqua Girl, and Starfire slash Jericho pummel their way through the assorted hive goons, Nightwing and Aqualad sneak into the weapons room and find an enormous torpedo that appears to be aimed at Atlantis. The two titans manage to shut off the power to the weapon system, but not before the Hive Queen launches the Doomsday Weapon at Garth's undersea hometown. I mean, technically he grew up in a cave near Atlantis, but... Nobody's ever heard of the cave, so for simplicity's sake, he just tells people he's from Atlantis. It's just easier that way. Anyway, Aqualad swims after the missile, and probably because he doesn't have that bulky old shirt slowing him down, he's able to catch up with a projectile and divert it just enough so that it blows up harmlessly in the water above Atlantis. Hooray! The other Titans fight their way to the control room, where they find that the Hive's inner circle has ranked their last spicy poop. Turns out that when the Hive Queen realized that her defeat was imminent, she suicided and pushed a button that electrified the chairs of her underlings. Probably not in that order. Wonder Girl recognizes one of the deceased fecal filers as her big sister's old enemy, Professor Torgo. Wait, THE Professor Torgo? The one who appeared in one issue of Wonder Woman in 1951 and spelled his name differently and has never been mentioned since? THAT Professor Torgo? Wow. And now he's dead. Oh, Professor Torgo, we hardly knew you. Because you appeared in one issue of Wonder Woman in 1951 and have never been mentioned since. Anyway, before she died, and took poor Professor Torgo with her, the Hive Commander made a little video, because not even death can stop a true supervillain from providing an exposition dump. So, here's the story of Hive. They were an anonymous organization of top criminal scientists that was founded by her husband, after he found an alien and took their technology, but before the Hive Commander killed him and took over the organization. They wanted to kill a team of superheroes so that they could get famous, and figured that the Teen Titans would probably be the easiest team to kill because, well, let's face it, they're always walking into traps, and one of them is Beast Boy. But the Titans, with the possible exception of Terra, were surprisingly good at not dying, which annoyed the heck out of Hive. In addition to their plan to kill famous teenagers and take their fame, Hive also had another plan. It went, poison all the water in the world, something something, be in charge of the world. Then I guess rank some poops? The Hive Commander's a little light on the details for the middle part of the plan, but in her defense, she is dead. Oh, and also before she died, she hit a self-destruct button and now the base is about to blow up. The Titans head back to their submarine and take off, leaving the hordes of Hive agents inside the base to die in a gruesome undersea explosion. Hooray, I guess? In a hidden space station high above the Earth, a lady named Lila informs her boss, the Monitor, that Hive is dead now. The Monitor is like, cool, got it. 
Man, kind of an anticlimactic ending for one of the Titan's oldest foes. This story was kind of a turd, and not a particularly spicy one. I guess I'd give it a four. Oh, man. Hope I'm not going to have to start wearing a purple robe. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? A little tired, but otherwise well. How are you? I am also well. We are recording this at night, as is unusual for us. I know, it's crazy. Anything could happen. It's tighten up the defense after dark. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to say swear words. What? I know. Oh, man. I always thought it would be funny if I've been a guest on a couple of different podcasts at this point, and at some point during the interview, I will ask the host, is it okay if I swear? And so far, I think they've all said yes. I do think it would be kind of funny to just follow that up with, they're like, yeah, of course, and then just say, okay, fuck you. <laughs> I don't have any animosity. Anytime I've been a guest on a podcast, it's it's been a delightful interchange, and I've been flattered to be asked, but I do think that would be kind of funny. Oh, so you don't do that every time? No. Oh, okay. no. Yeah. Hey. But I haven't been on any of their shows after dark. Ho, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So if you would like to be insulted by your co-guest host after dark, yeah, you know where to find us. Yes, that's ttwasteland at gmail.com. Fuck you. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, see, you can have either one of us on, apparently. That's just powerful words. You'll get the patented tighten up the defense after dark treatment. Fuck, Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, what'd you think of this comic book? It was okay. Yeah, it was fine. I feel like it's just kind of a waste. A waste of a lot of things. I feel like the previous couple of issues kind of put me in the frame of mind of, oh, I, let's see where he's going with this. And then this one, it's like, oh, he's going nowhere. Yeah, it felt like too easy in a way. Hive has been around for quite some time. Mm-hmm. and Since the second issue of this book. The bad lady in charge was actually, I thought had potential to be a really interesting yeah bad character evil person it's really rare that you see a strong female leader who is also presented as being expressly very feminine Mm -hmm. and that was what we had last issue with the hive queen in this issue i mean first of all okay never mind i guess we don't have that character anymore also i guess we don't have hive anymore and then also it ended up making her seem indecisive and incompetent in a way which she did not seem in previous issues. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like a waste. Yeah. Kind of bummed me out. Yeah, me too. I kind of wish that she had... I don't know, I guess I'm okay with her electrocuting all of her hive people and killing her husband, but I wish she had escaped or something. Yeah, yeah, I want to get her to get into an escape pod. It, yeah. It's... It was a weak move. Come poison the earth later. Yeah. And hold it for ransom Come or hostage. on. Which is also stupid, unless you have an unpoisoning thing. So that's They a- must have had some kind of an unpoisoning device, or maybe they would just have, like, if the Earth paid the ransom to them, then they could have just been like, oh, okay, um, Nightwing, do science on the planet. You know what's also stupid? What is so stupid about all this, this bad guy stuff where, like, okay, I understand power is intoxicating, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Responsibility is fucking awful. Oh, it's terrible. 
Oh, I don't want to be in charge of all the these Earth. guys are like, I want to be in charge of everything. And I'm like, no, you don't even know. You can't even keep Rudy off the sauce. Do you know how many emails you would have to answer oh, if God. you were in charge of everything? It makes me, I feel like I'm going to throw up thinking about that. God, it's the worst. Oh, stupid fucking criminals. Ugh. It's like, you know what, guys? Okay, okay. You don't even have to poison the oceans. Here's the keys. Yeah, have fun. World. Go take it. Take it for a spin. See how you like it. You'll yeah. be back in ten minutes. God. They would just immediately just get a migraine. Yep. Stupid fucking hive. Well, I guess no more hive. No I mean, hive. The, the cover promises the end of hive. And that's what we get in this issue. And the way that they die is apparently every member of hive is dead now. Because they all were sitting down at the same time in electrified chairs when she hit the button. Uh, There's going to be one guy who's like taking a pee or something and he comes back and he's just like, what? Do you think that possibly, I mean, I don't think Rudy got killed in the Colorado base. Maybe he got like suspended for a week. Maybe like Rudy wakes up in the morning and is just like, oh, I'm in charge of Hive? <laughs> it's all mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is you guys. Number 32, who's my brother. We get drunk and work all the time together. Sounds I just like I think him. the Titans let him come out in the sub, maybe? I don't know. We run <laughs> Hive now. I, okay? I yeah. That's great. <laughs> I hope that happens. I hope so, too. It's a new, kinder, gentler, drunker organization dedicated to the ranking of spicy poops. Bring back Rudy. Bring back Rudy. <laughs> put him in charge of those crazy... Specifically, put him in charge of number 32, who we see in this issue, and it's pretty anticlimactic when he takes that hood off and is just comb-over guy. Not Rudy. No, that, definitely not Rudy. I mean, we never saw Rudy's face, but we saw his mustache. And that uh, comb-over guy, he doesn't have a load-bearing face. I don't think it could support a mustache <laughs> like Rudy's. Oh, no. no. Wrong-colored hair, too. Yeah, he's got a weak upper lip. It's <laughs> worse than a weak chin. Yeah, well, like, I'm just saying it couldn't support a luxurious mustache like Rudy's. No, no, yeah. it couldn't. Yeah. Asterisk. To hear more about Rudy... Check out Tighten Up the Defense number 107. Helpful hub. So, I, that's what we thought about the comic. <laughs> pretty much. Raven was interesting. Raven was interesting. She came in as a uh, DSX machina and just kind of saves the day. It is always a little bit unsettling to me when they have this wild fluctuation in her control over her power, where last issue teleporting and beating up one dude, I think, turned her into basically Trigon. And, and in, she had to go wait in Because the she car. had exerted too much energy and she mm -hmm. had to go wait in a car. And then this issue, she teleports every member of the new Teen Titans inside of her soul self, stops a giant explosion, then expands her soul self to form an air seal on the outside of a recently ruptured hive headquarters, and she's fine. I mean, she does have to go wait in the car again after that. But... She's very tired. She's very tired, but she doesn't have the same kind of existential angst, threat level, my evil bad dad's gonna climb out of my bird-shaped soul tummy bullshit that she usually has. No, instead she's like, you guys don't even understand how exhausting that was. I'm out, bitches. It is a full body workout. She just leaves. You were all living inside my soul for a few minutes, and it was so noisy. 
Yeah, Aqualutter, whoever's like, it's cold in here. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. Yeah. You know where else it's cold? Being dead. Yeah. You're welcome. Seriously, they come across as very ungrateful. I think Aqua Girl especially pops out and is just like, was she always that much fun? <laughs> I think specifically she says, is she always this much fun at parties? Yeah. I like Aqua Girl. I like that she is a sassy lady, although apparently not as zesty as starfire yep interesting turn of phrase and i don't say this very often but i was pretty annoyed with aqualad in this panel mm -hmm. starfire basically after i'm pretty sure killing a bunch of hive guys yeah yeah we're led to believe she zaps them to death yeah if she doesn't there she definitely does later in the issue and she says after zapping a bunch of hive guys when they've just been released from raven's soul tummy what I said before about not wanting to use my powers to their fullest, I take it back. There is no reason for us to accept this abuse, not when there are alternatives. Alternatives like murder. Nightwing says, We can fight back, Cory, but we don't have to kill. And Aqualad just kind of like rubs his head and has a bemused expression on his face when he is looking at what I gotta believe is about 12 corpses and says, Whew, glad she's your girlfriend, pal. I wouldn't have the nerve to date anyone with her, um, zest? Mm-hmm. For murder. Yeah, that's inappropriate on so many levels, Aqualad. Like, first of all, you're talking about Starfire right in front of her. Second of all, you're calling murder zesty. And third of all, you're kind of disparaging your girlfriend Tula by saying that she has less chutzpah than Starfire. Mm. Three strikes, man. Yeah. You're out. But... This he is still wearing his weird Chippendales outfit, so it's hard to stay mad at him. <laughs> his dish gloves and a Speedo. He is pretty adorable. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you get a pass, young Tom Jones-looking Aqualad. He is very Tom Jonesy in this issue. He really is. Unlike Tom Jones, he has a good excuse for always looking damp, though. <laughs> I'm sure performing under those lights is yeah, sweaty work. I guess. Probably coal mining is, too. I think Tom Jones does, did some coal mining. Oh, really? He's Welsh. I assume everyone in Wales has coal mined at some point. No? <laughs> I'm not up on my Welsh stereotypes. But I, I think that's probably one of them, and I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I know that the, the coal miners ate um, pasties. Oh, yeah. Which are delicious little hand sandwiches. You hand. mean handheld sandwiches, right? Yes. Okay. No, not... <laughs> yeah. Oh, well... A sandwich you can hold in your hand. Okay. Like Apparently, I'm pie. not up on my coal mining stereotypes. Maybe they all eat hands. Last, last one out. <laughs> this is a hand. It's the coal mining way. Yep. Asterisk. Apparently, Tom Jones was not a coal miner, but his father and both of his brothers were. He has been quoted as saying he probably would have been a coal miner if he had not suffered from tuberculosis at a young age. Also, coal miners are no more or less likely to eat hands than anyone else is. Helpful hub. Let's get back to Nightwing's attitude of, Starfire, you really shouldn't murder people. And then being pretty okay with her, and them really, murdering all of the members of Hive. I can't believe that every member of Hive was sitting down and got electrocuted by the Hive Queen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was just her inner circle that was in that room with her at the time. The rest of them had all been knocked out by the Titans or killed by the Titans because it is pretty explicit. There is a panel on page 11 where we see Starfire's bolts, which make their 
patented scree noise when she fires them. You see pieces of Hive guys missing in their silhouettes. Like, they are definitely being blown to smithereens. And killed in that panel. Mm -hmm. And everybody's pretty fine with that. I think that's kind of a first. They've talked about it, and they've we've definitely seen Starfire say, I'm not holding back anymore. But this is the first time I think we've seen her kill human beings. I guess because everybody was in Raven's soul self after getting almost blown up and killed, that they're just like, fuck these people. I am chilly. I'm cold. I'm hungry. And you guys tried to murder me. So, so Starfire, you be as zesty as you want to be. Yeah. I understand if that's the necessity of your fighting a war or whatever. But then, as they are leaving the Hive base, which had probably thousands of Hive guys, just judging from the number of dudes they had able to send out in waves at them before, when they were approaching in the submarine and when they were inside the Hive headquarters, they all blow up in the base as the Titans leave. Mm -hmm. So thousands of people just died. And we see... Nightwing's exit line to that is, come on, let's go get a bite and go home. I don't know about you, but I'm bushed. That's a horrifying reaction to basically fucking coming out of the DC Universe equivalent of the trenches of World War I, where there are just corpses stacked up like cordwood, and being like, oof, I could really go for a burger. And a nap. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, that is weird. I didn't think about that. Like, this has probably the highest death toll of any issue we've read, and it's treated as such an afterthought. All of the organization of Hive is dead now. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, they sucked, and they were, you know, spicy poop rankers, but... Is that not an uncommon thing, though, in in Hero Comics, to have, like, the non-player characters, the D&D thing, to have the, like, ancillary... Minions. M- yeah, like, not really matter. Yeah, not matter is one thing, but I... I don't know. I grew up on the cartoons where if you got henchmen, then you have to have them be robots or or pop out in little parachutes when their plane blows up. There are no little parachutes coming out of that undersea base. If they don't die in the explosion, they're drowning or crushed by the tons of water. The cover of the comic is pretty heavy, too. Like, they all look really angry and serious. And mm-hmm. Nightwing looks like... I don't know. I almost wonder if some young person in Norway was reading this and listening to heavy metal <laughs> at the same time. The face makeup. Yeah, like his mask does like, kind of look like black metal face makeup. I have an idea. He's making a super angsty face. He looks very metal on the yeah. cover of this. Honestly, Aqualad does too. I mean, if you take away the fact that he's wearing dish gloves and a Speedo. Mm -hmm. But, like, the expression on his face and the look of intensity, even Wonder Girl, they all look, like, pretty serious. I want to, like, Photoshop some heavy metal-looking guitars and instruments into Oh, you totally could, because Nightwing does kind of look like he's doing the uh, Pete Townsend windmill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's holding the guitar neck out there. It's like, Aqualad could, like, have a mic stand and be... He could have a mic. The way he's crouching, he could totally be holding a low-slung bass. Oh, that's true. But who's singing? I think uh, Wonder Girl has kind of a Danzig vibe going on there. Oh, I think she might... I think Wonder Girl on guitar, Aqualad on a low-slung bass... And I think Nightwing's hitting a high note. Yeah. I Maybe he's just doing the backup singing because I really, I like the idea of Wonder Girl being the singer because her lariat could be like the mic cord. Mm, mm. And she really does have like kind of a Danzig vibe going on in that picture. She, yeah. wa- she wants their skulls. 
Yeah, she does. Five. She does. And she's like, Mother! And I don't know whether I mean Wonder Woman or Hippolyta. Or one of the seven people who died who was my birth or adopted mother. Mother. Have we had that <laughs> conversation about how that's a weird lyric in that song where he's like, Mother, I'm going to take your daughter out? Yeah, because that, that's his sister. That's creepy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a creepy song and he's a creepy dude. Ugh. Yeah. Boo! I'm not going to move. Danzig has a soft spot in my heart. Mm. But it is a weird lyric. Yeah. I do like there's a video of him talking about werewolves that I like a lot. Oh, like in his apartment? Yeah, he's in his apartment. He's like crouched down next to the bookshelf and talking about like, you're not going to believe what's in this book. It's about werewolves. Yeah. I've seen that. That's That's pretty fun. That is pretty fun. Yeah. It's a good cover. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's going on. Under the sea, where the seaweed is always greener in someone else's lake. It's very difficult for me when I talk about things happening under the sea, not just to launch into the Little Mermaid lyrics, but I'll do my best. Well, it's a bad start. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so that's what's going on under the sea. And? Under the sea. <laughs> Darling, it's better dumber and sweater taken from me. That's a filthy lyric. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a dirty little crab. (laughs) Sebastian. (laughs) Above ground, we get a bit of resolution to the mopey, unhinged vigilante Beast Boy storyline. He's hanging out at the Teen Titans headquarters, Mm -hmm. talking to the giant subway-sized poster of Terra that I guess they just have? Well, it was uh, from the other ones on the wall, those big posters of everybody, and they took hers down. Yeah, it's a weird choice that they've got big posters on the wall of everybody. And I, they, I, I don't think they had taken Terra's down yet. I think he just Gar- took it Gar- down because it, it was still there. But it was on the same day that Terra died that Nightwing debuted his Nightwing gear. So they've already got the Nightwing one up. They had just left the Terra one up. That's a weird choice. I would think... She tries to kill you and then evils herself to death. Maybe you take that poster down that day. I don't know. I think other than Gar, nobody really wanted to acknowledge or deal with any of it. Yeah. I think maybe they did take it down and he just brought that one from home. Because he's a creep. That's creepy. Well, he's Beast Boy. He's a creeper. I don't know. It's weird that he's just sitting there talking to it. Yeah. Well, and then Cyborg starts carrying it. Like, Cyborg, like, takes it away from him. It's like, okay. Yeah, anyway, I'm going to go put this in a different Talk to this real lady. Yes. Uh, Uh, Speaking of that real lady, mm -hmm. you did not recognize her. I did not. She looks pretty different from the last time that we saw her, but that is Jillian, and she last appeared in the Teen Titans miniseries, Tales of the Teen Titans, where all the Teen Titans went and hung out at the Grand Canyon and reminisced about past events that's where we learned from cyborg that racism isn't real which super good news what yeah you weren't there for that you were in thailand i think or a pocket dimension or something oh just a dimension full of pockets useful but yeah. also confusing indeed but that's i guess that's where they all go when they were taken out of women's fashion that's a shame it really is i'm so sorry for so many things women <laughs> But you didn't take their pockets. I didn't take their pockets and put them in that dimension. But that shouldn't have been. That shouldn't have happened, man. Women's fashion needs pockets. Clothing without pockets is bogus. I can't. I 
I'm using mine right now. Yeah. I have one hand in each pocket of my shirt. And the other one giving a high five. <laughs> what? It's more a set song. About pockets? Yeah, she's got one hand in her pocket, the other one's doing other shit. Oh. You know. Nice. Yeah, she's multitasking. Okay. It's a song about uh, multitasking. Well, okay. So yeah. it was after the 90s that women's fashion got rid of all the pockets? I feel like it was before then. I think uh, Alanis Morissette was just like, fuck this shit. I want pockets. I want pockets. Good for her, man. So brave. <laughs> uh, Jillian. Right. She doesn't appear to have any pockets in her outfit. No, and we will talk more about her outfit later, I am sure. Good. So Jillian's deal is that her dad is super rich. She was a childhood friend of Beast Boy. And then when they were both teenagers, I think probably about a year ago, relatively soon before he joined the new Teen Titans, they started dating. And then his evil stepdad, not Steve Dayton, but his previous evil, not stepdad, but adopted dad, who was evil and stuff, he kidnapped her and then kidnapped Beast Boy and was going to try to kill Beast Boy, but he turned into a porcupine and then ran around in his underwear and they got into a big fight in a lake. You know. Typical. Typical Beast Boy stuff. Okay. Asterisk. To hear more about Beast Boy's underwear fight with his evil stepdad, check out Tighten Up the Defense number 72. Helpful hub. Man, I can see why Jerry Conway went so crazy with the asterisks. This is pretty fun. But that's who Jillian is. And then we haven't seen her since. Okay. Last time we saw her, she was blonde. Apparently, she dyed her hair pink. Pink. It's a good look. Sure. She also is the character that we saw in the previous episode. And I say saw, we didn't actually see her, but we heard her talking to Beast Boy's substitute butler. Mm. And she very clearly in the last issue had a British accent. Well, she was there for finishing school. Yeah. She very clearly had a Cockney British accent, though. So what kind of Cockney finishing school did she get sent to? Like, was it like the Dick Van Dyke School for Young Ladies? No, she's just one of those people that goes abroad for a semester or whatever and comes back with the accent. In this issue, she still has some kind of an accent, but it's this weird hybrid of Cockney British and Valley Girl is the way that I read it. And it was very confusing to me. I had a childhood friend that went to Bolivia on an exchange program. Oh, no. And came back with a very strange accent, purportedly because the only person, he said, that he could speak English with there was an Irishman. Oh, no. And so he had a... Bolivian-Irish accent? Yeah. Oh, no. It went away shortly. I hope that is the case with Jillian. But, yeah, I think it is that kind of scenario where it's like a Madonna-type thing. Oh, I just spent a fortnight across the pond, I did. (laughs) Oh, am I talking oddly? I can't believe that I am. Is this an accent? I thought I always talked this way, didn't I? Oh, man. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, it's a very good accent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I I don't even realise I'm doing this, do I then? I I just watched... A fortnight of episodes of the Great British Bake Off. Well, Paul Hollywood over here. Oh, that's a bad bake, Corey. Overproved. Don't, don't eat that, Mary. Don't eat that. That's a bad bake. I always make him Scottish. 
I'm gonna mash this bread up with my big gorilla hand and just poke at it. It's a bad bake. He's doing the Hollywood stare to you guys. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> Good job, Bob. I'm just gonna mash this up with my big gorilla fingers. That's his tagline, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's his catchphrase. I'm Paul Hollywood, and I'm gonna mash this up. Just poke at this bread with my big gorilla fingers. Underproved. <laughs> it's got no snap to it. How, how am I expected to eat this biscuit when it hasn't been cooked for way too long at a very low heat so that it removes all moisture from it whatsoever? I'm British. I like Paul and Mary. Mm. I think they do a good job on that TV show. I think Mary does a good job. I think Paul leans into his character a little bit too much. Oh, it's enjoyable. Yeah. I do like that show a lot. I like when they show uh, baby animals playing in the meadow. Oh, those sheep. They yeah. look so confused. Yeah. What's a biscuit? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I can answer that one. Uh, in England, a biscuit is every baked good possible except for actual biscuits, which they call... Pudding. The loo. Oh. So that's <laughs> Jillian's story. Let's get back to the uh, spicy poop rankers and a bit of a eulogy for them. We find out that the Hive Queen... Although she was vicious and bloodthirsty and we find out that she murdered her husband, she also didn't want to leave the Titans without giving them any sense of closure. So after killing all of her minions, but before killing herself, she recorded a message for them explaining about what Hive was and why they had been obsessed with the Titans for the past 46 issues. Just giving them some closure. Mm -hmm. Class act. Sure. Also, apparently all of the backstory on Hive can be summed up in, like, three sentences. Okay. They were a secret organization of scientist villains who prized their anonymity and secrecy above all else, and they wanted to get famous and make a big name for themselves by killing a supergroup. I guess two sentences. And they wanted to take over the world. And rank spicy poops. Four sentences. I'm sorry. You could say wanted to take over the world slash rank spicy poops. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. Got it in three. Right. Nice. Well done. Thank you. There's a weird throwaway line that Wonder Girl has as she's sifting cavalierly through the hive corpses. She recognizes one of them. Starfire sees the corpses and says, I, I think they killed themselves. And Wonder Girl says, I recognize that face from my sister's files. He's Professor Torgo, but I thought he died long ago. Oh, right, right, right. Do you know who Professor Torgo was? Before he was a spicy poop ranker? Yes. No. Yeah, nobody does. They drop him like he's this like, oh, we all know Professor Torgo in the DC Universe. Well-known Wonder Woman villain. He appeared in one issue in 1951. Well, that is some memory, mister. I had to look that up, oh, Corey. Okay. I'm sorry, but thank you. I oh. appreciate the vote of confidence. Well, it's retracted, but thank you for <laughs> looking it up. Very thorough. But what a weird reference to drop. Why bother doing that? I guess they're trying to establish that Hive was all science villains that have previous histories. But what a weird random callback and also disposal of a character that doesn't mean anything to anybody. This is also the days before easily accessible computer data. So it's not like they just looked nope. up in the DC archive. Hmm. Old scientist. I mean, maybe they had like a card catalog or something like within DC. They must have some kind of a universe Bible. 
Just have the who's who in the DCU books. Oh, they must have. I used to love those, man. Oh, yeah. I had F. You have a bunch, no? I have a bunch now, but when we were kids, I think I got your old issue, and it was, it was issue F because it had Feral Lad in it, <laughs> and I thought he would be a real big deal in the DC universe, and I don't think he really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was cool as shit as well. Yeah, he was pretty cool looking. Big F-E on his chest. Yeah, pretty good. As Ferris as they get. Oh, man. Ferris as he wants to be. <laughs> as, as his first album. Naked and Ferris. <laughs> oh, there's a pretty cool font on the inner cover that says the final conflict and the second i saw it i just started getting the final countdown playing in my head and through mm. the entire issue i was like doo, 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 doo. you know <laughs> wait is that how you think the song goes yeah it's like a calliope like <laughs> oh, sound music yeah, yeah. the final countdown no, it totally is. Yeah, oh, that's okay. the, the Europe song, right? Yeah. 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 No, that's the final countdown. Okay. Yeah. Good. You want to do the minutia? Yeah, I think we should. Okay. Rick, would you mind singing us in? <laughs> <laughs> Corey, let Rick do it. Oh. I know that's how the minutia song goes, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, Rick. Sorry, don't mean to step on your toes. Rick, why don't you sing it? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? Oh, I only had one. Okay, what was it? It's it's one that comes up all the time, but mm-hmm. it's musical and it's ska boom. Yep. We get Ska Boom. I was searching for a sound effect that we had not seen before. And so the one that I was left with was... What's that? It is 25 goddamn E's on a single panel and many more implied, which is the sound it makes when there is a breach in the hall of the headquarters. It is a reaction shot of the Hive Queen being freaked out that the Titans have busted into the undersea base. But yeah, it's uh, it's just That's... a cool-looking panel where it's just her head in front of a ton of E's. That's interesting. That So I interpreted that as uh, like an alarm was going off? Yeah. Okay, that's how you got it too. It wasn't like yeah. the sound of the sea pressure. Like... No, no, no. It was it was like the klaxon of an alarm going off. But I, I just thought it was a cool-looking panel. Yeah, yeah, that was super cool. Nice. All right, sartorially speaking. What instances of fashion in this issue do you feel are worthy of note? Yeah, basically, I just got two. But um, the first one we mentioned already in passing, which is uh, Jillian's getup. Yeah, it is quite an outfit. Pink hair. A mini dress, I would say, with heels and not full leg warmers, but ankle warmers. Mm -hmm. And a little tiny tutu frill beneath a belt on her dress. Big silver earrings, a glove on one hand, and big white plastic bracelets. It is an intense and intensely 1980s look. Mm -hmm. And it looks good on her. Mm -hmm. I think those kind of earrings are making a comeback, too. It's a very good, very new wave outfit. Very fancy. Yeah. But also edgy. Indeed. You said you had another one you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think it's, it's come up before and it's not new clothes, really, but... The pattern on a Tula's bathing suit mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like a jigsaw puzzle, kind of. Or just a bunch of, like, is it Keith Herring, the name of he the artist? Those, like, like dudes. Yeah, like just like amoeba-looking dudes. Mm-hmm. 
there's a fight scene that she's in where you also see that she's barefoot, which I don't think had totally sunk in before, but makes sense if she's mostly swimming. Yet, I'm getting strong Jimmy Superfly Snooka vibes from her in that panel. <laughs> she is kind of on the ropes, too. She's yeah, or the... climbing the side of the cage, yeah. you know? It's a good look. I, I like her outfit. Yeah, good call. Tula Snooka. What was her favorite panel? I had a toss-up between two. Both of them involve Coriander. One on page 15, I called Cory in Trouble. And it's when uh, she's trapped by these creepy... Um, kind of metallic vine things that are zapping her. Oh, yeah, that is the prelude to her getting uh, taken over by Jericho because the weird metal things knock her out Mm -hmm. with their electricity. Yeah, so creepy, but also pretty powerful graphically, I think. Like, there's a kind of Kirby Crackle going around and Wonder Girl's in the bottom of the panel just being like, holy shit, what is happening? Yeah, pretty good. I also had a couple. One of them we actually just talked about a little bit. It is the big fight scene where it's the ladies of the Teen Titans just kicking a ton of ass. It is Wonder Girl and Aqua Girl and Starfire. It looks like they're in some kind of a big, like, drum of some kind. And Tula is climbing the sides of it and tossing dudes off the top. Wonder Girl is distracting laser blasts with her bracelets and... Starfire is murdering people with her laser space punches, and it's just really dynamic. And then also, I guess Jericho is there hopping from body to body, I guess probably making them stand still so that they can get hit by other people, or making them hit each other. It's just a really cool fight scene. It is. There's a ton going on. The Hive dudes are rendered really well. They've got cool weapons and cool costumes. Yeah, and it's the face mask and backpack Hive guys instead of the robe Hive guys. It's a real nice panel. What was your other? My favorite, I think, was page 18. I call it uh, Victoria's Corey. She's emerging from flying through all of this this fire. Mm-hmm. And it's just a super badass kind of Phoenix-like panel. Yeah, that is pretty badass. And that's actually Jericho in Coriander's body doing that. Yeah, it's really cool looking. Yep. It is also, you kind of see, like, her space fire hair emerging from the regular fire of a fire. And it's nicely done. I think my other favorite is is the one where Aqualad's being creepy and calling uh, Starfire Zesty. It's just a really cool-looking panel. She is standing in the middle of it with glowing fists. Aqualad has this weird look of bemusement on his face as he is looking at the desiccated corpses of Starfire's enemies. And uh, it's just a really cool panel. I still think... I, I just can't see Nightwing now without thinking he's in some sort of weird musical act. It's impossible. Like maybe he's collar. one of the. It looked well, it, and with his mask slash face paint, it looks like he might be like a replacement member of Kiss. Like mm-hmm. when they brought in like Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick and uh, Vinnie Vincent and the various non-original members, but they were each like I think Eric Carr was the Fox guy, and Vinnie Vincent was the ancient Egyptian mummy or something. Did they have a keyboard player. I don't know if they had a regular member of the court because it was always a four person. Yeah, so I, and so I like, don't think they had a specific keyboard player, but you think maybe I like... I feel like Nightwing is the keyboard Do you think Nightwing dude? was like the keyboard player who's just a hired musician, yeah. who's like a studio musician, but he's like, I'm in Kiss too. Yeah. I'm in the band. And he think like, they're like, you don't need to wear your own, you don't get to have a whole persona. He's like, no, I'm a, I'm a bird man. 
Yeah, I got a high collar and some spandex. Yeah, I'm, I'm an acrobat bird. I'm in the band. Roar. Hey, guys. Like a bird. Hey. Yeah. Hey. I'm in Kiss. Fire up the smoke machine. Yeah. When do I get my platform boots? Yeah, you're not going to get them. You're never getting platform boots. Sorry, that was mean. That's okay. You can have platform boots I don't someday. know if Gene Simmons really deserves to keep those either. I mean, Gene Simmons is a piece of shit. <laughs> right? It's the only time I've heard Terry Gross on NPR say, That's inappropriate. God, he was such an asshole. Man, fuck that guy. Boo. No boots for you. Yeah. You know what? You know what, Gene? Nightwing can have your platform. Yes, give them to him. I want them on my desk by Monday. And also, pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man. J. Jonah Jameson. That's right. J. Jonah Jameson is Kiss's new manager. Boy, in a topsy-turvy world. That's the amalgam title I want to have. J. Jonah Jameson, Kiss's manager. (laughs) And also, Nighthawk's manager. Nightwing. Nightwing. God damn it. (laughs) It's okay. The connection is strong. Yeah, up until that, the whole paragraph was making perfect sense. (laughs) Damn it. Corey, did you have a timestamp for this issue? Yeah, I did a bad job. At first, (laughs) I thought I was doing a good job. Okay. I was like, okay, this comic came out when I was a kid. Right. And so there was an inset on page nine. That's like this little like editor's note. And it's a point at which Cyborg is giving Beast Boy a hard time about like, whoa, are you going to go be a vigilante? A what? Vigilante. Okay. Vigilante. <laughs> there we go. And I was like, oh, that's a reference because they're trying to get people to buy Punisher. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, no. Wait a minute. That's a, that's a Marvel comic. Yeah. That came out two years later. No, they, they were, were talking to about the people... actual vigil- vigilante yeah. comic. That DC made. That's yeah, what they were doing. they were they were referencing the Punisher ripoff, Vigilante. Um, oh, that's how you say it. Oh, oh yes, I'm sorry. That's how you pronounced it first, right? Um, <laughs> Vigilante. Yeah. So and Vigilante, uh, we saw earlier, and he's the fucking piece of shit, world's worst district attorney guy, who Wolfman and right, yep, Perez created. So that that's yeah, that's what that is. Yep, so that's um, my timestamp. I got confused about which vigilante we were talking about. Ah. For my timestamp, it was a tough one to come up with one for, but I decided to go with Jillian's reference to Pate. I know Pate has been around for a long time, but I feel like it was an 80s yuppie punchline to things. That's her fancy 80s way of saying, what am I, chopped Chop liver? liver, exactly. Yeah. But there's something about referencing Pate or quiche that just says, like, 80s to me. Or moose. Yeah, exactly. It's that kind of thing where Pate specifically, it reminds me of the Amazon women on the moon, the fake ad they had in it for silly Pate, which <laughs> where they're at a fancy party and then they start copying comics with the Pate and then um, stretching it. I haven't seen that it. since I was a young person. I feel like it's probably not good. I bet there are parts of it that aren't, but there are some parts of that movie that are just goddamn funny. I'm pretty sure. I need to watch it again. They have that lyric in the Mountain Brothers song. Oh, yeah. That was Raised right. by Amazon women on the moon. Yeah. Good call. I like the Mountain Brothers. It's been a minute. Yes. Corey. Yes. Let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight? 
I would like to highlight Cyborg's frustration with Beast Boy. Corey, there was no other choice in this issue. It was the best insult in it. We didn't have any literal bozos. We also, I don't believe, had, for the first time in a long time, any mebbies in this issue. But we did get a real zinger. We did get a big, green, stupid, salad-headed jerk. You big, green, stupid, salad-headed jerk. That's a good string of words, man. It is a great string of words. Nice work, Cyborg. Nice work. Yes. Yeah, there just isn't too much more to say about it. That's the best zinger. Accurate. Yeah. Good job, Cyborg. Thank you. You're not Cyborg, Corey. I'm sorry. I didn't want to have to be the one to tell you, but somebody needs to. You've got to take that metal salad bowl off your head. (laughs) Stop ripping your clothes off and leaping around the city in your underpants. Nothing can stop this. Okay, well, you don't have to stop doing it, but you have to stop calling yourself Cyborg when you do it. Okay, fine. Um, (laughs) Crusher of dreams. Every episode of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, in this issue, who was your... Aqualad? Tricky, because we have Aqualad. Indeed we do. And he did a fine job. He did. He and Tula punched a hole in the Hive headquarters. That was probably hard to do. That was. That seemed like that would be super difficult to do. He did also redirect that torpedo away from Atlantis and kept all of the inhabitants of Atlantis from being killed, which is a good thing to do. It is a good thing to do. However, if Raven had not done the weird soul self thing, he would not have been able to do any of that and so actually had to give the Aqualad to Raven, even though Aqualad was in the issue. Yeah, I went the same direction. I really wanted to give it to Aqualad, and I think you could make the argument that he was the only person in the issue who really saved any lives other than Raven, but Raven did do the initial saving of all of the Titans at great personal risk to herself and her sanity and really the rest of the universe, I guess. But yeah, no, I I had Raven too. Also, I think that Aqua Girl did a great job too. Mm Mm-hmm. Conversely, who was your Speedy, who was the worst Teen Titan? Yeah, so I had a little bit of a a toss-up here, and there's a panel on page 19 where Dick makes Aqualad very uncomfortable by, like, kind of caressing his his knee. He does? (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a look. So he's pretending to check his watch, and he kind of gooses Aqualad, and then the next panel, Aqualad's like, I can't make eye contact with you, this is super weird. It really does look like, yeah. So that was that was a little weird, but probably an accident, so it's Gar. Okay, I think that's fair. I did decide to go with Nightwing, although not for that reason. But I went with Nightwing because of his, I feel like, hypocrisy in telling Corey, no, you can't kill people. And then being fine with the, I don't know, murder by omission of uh, not helping any of the Hive guys off the station and just letting them be blown up like that. And then specifically with him being like, whew, we murdered a lot of people. I could really go for a burger. And a nap. And a nap at the end. Yeah. Yeah, so I went with Dick too. All right. Or not too, because you decided to go with Beast Boy. What did Beast Boy do that was so bad? I'm just sick of his shit. Okay, fair enough. Like, okay, fine. If No, we, hey, being sick of Beast Boy shit is a perfectly valid emotion to feel. I understand that he's traumatized, but I'm tired of him. Like, I think I'm starting to subscribe to the Donna Troy 
like grief counseling. I think the Donna school. It's been the, several days. Donna Tro- Boy. Yeah, it's been a few days. I think that the Donna Troy School of Grief Counseling is almost certainly located somewhere in New England. <laughs> Put that poster away. Yeah, well, it's been a couple of days. There's farm work we gotta do, okay? Yep. We're all distraught that Ma died, alright? Now, get out there. Go to work. We got six quarter wood. Not gonna chop itself. We could be professors emeritus at the Donna Troy School of Grief Counseling. If that sounds fancy, does it pay well? No. Oh. Nothing in academia does. Do you have to do email? Yeah. Oh. Alright, never mind. Well, Corey, that leaves me with just one question left that I must ask of you. Waspoot! Normally we would ask, what's Aqualad probably up to, Wapoot? But, as we see what Aqualad is up to, gotta ask you the question, what's Speedy probably up to? That is a good question. In the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, October, what's Speedy doing? What's interesting is what Speedy was doing slightly before. Oh. So... One of the things that happened in October of 1984 mm-hmm. was the much beloved political cartoon Doonesbury came back online after a two-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of press about what was going on before that and, and why this much beloved political cartoon was, was on this break. Um, I think we did actually cover that, that it was on break because Gary Trudeau was training to compete in Aqualad's underwater professional <laughs> wrestling circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just what the media wants you to believe. Oh, man. I'm such a sheeple. The, a shirson. The, le- <laughs> the left-wing media. Literal oh, media. I gotta wake up. Yeah. Wake up, sheeple. What was really going on, and this is a little weird. So Speedy was trying to clean himself up. Okay, mm-hmm. he's was having some his struggles, you know, with substance abuse and all these things, and he was missing the days of his syrup chugging, freewheeling self. Oh, uh, he wasn't the one who chugged the syrup; that was Wally. He always really wished that that was him. <laughs> oh, when he tells the story, it yeah. was him who chugged the syrup. Of course, this is right. Who, this is Speedy we're talking about. Gotcha. Right. He's and like, then I used my super speed. To... <laughs> yes, that's why they call me Speedy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. He thought to himself, okay, where do they have the most high-quality syrup that I can just get my hands on? I'm going up north. Sure. But if I want to corner the whole syrup market and basically take out over, I need some leverage. I know what I'll do. I'm going to kidnap the Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> so he gets this elaborate plan together, and he's like, I am going to kidnap Gary Trudeau. <laughs> And I found out he's on this press junket. It's in D.C. It's not in, you know, Toronto, but whatever. And so he does this, and the guy's like, I'm a cartoonist. I am not the fucking PM of Canada. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Give me all your syrup. And this goes on for a couple years, and he finally realizes his mistake and lets him go, and then Doonesbury comes out again. Oh, boy. He So he thought he was thinking of Pierre Trudeau. Right. And he had Gary Trudeau locked up for two years. Yes. Oh, Speedy. What a goof. Well, in October of 1984, perhaps in reaction to that, Speedy felt like he had some atoning to do. (laughs) So he really wanted to make good. And he found out that the government had recently arrested 11 members of the Colombo crime family. 
and he thought to himself, Oh, but they gotta get the leader. I'm gonna go arrest Columbo. Oh, no, Peter Falk. And so he started <laughs> stalking Peter Falk. And Peter Falk got really freaked out. He had been taking a little bit of a hiatus from acting at the time. And he was just like, there's this fucking kid who keeps shooting arrows at me. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get away from him. So he ended up uh he ended up fleeing the country and he went over to West Germany and it was during that time that he met Vim Vendors and ended up a couple of years later uh being a co-star in the movie Wings of Desire uh for Vim Vendors in uh in West Germany because he was over in Europe fleeing from Speedy, who thought that he was the head of the Colombo crime family. Not bad. And that is what Speedy was probably up to responsible for so many things oh boy speedy he's the worst <laughs> thank you so much for joining us dear listeners at this likely incomprehensible i don't even have a word that i was gonna end that sentence with episode yeah there we go good call Corey. thanks no problem if you'd like to get into touch with us you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com you can find us on tumblr on facebook on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, the new video site that I believe was probably invented by Kesha with a dollar sign. Is that true? No, I don't think so. I've and also, those, we're not on it. Those ads show up on my um, Duolingo, like the language learning application. Oh. It looks like the sort of thing that if you click on it, then you have to like be embarrassed. Yeah, I think that's the idea behind it. Okay. So we're not on there. <laughs> no, we're not on there. Uh, Lisa's been watching a ton of videos on it. I think it's like Vine, only it seems to be just for people making their own little music videos that are like 12 seconds or something. I see. But we're not on there. And we're on Friendster. <laughs> MySpace. And yeah, Netscape. Um, and some other old-timey internet things. Mm. Periscope? Is that still a thing? I don't know. I was never a Periscoper. No, me either. I did watch Down Periscope. I was trying to remember the name of that movie. I was having a submarine movies chat with a young man the other day. And you were like, did you know there was a submarine movie where a major plot point was that Kelsey Grammer had a tattoo on his dick? Yeah. And then he was <laughs> like, what's that movie? And I was like, ah. Um, he was just like, you, you and your Kelsey Grammer stories. <laughs> You're always telling tall tales about Kelsey Grammer's filmography. Yeah, if you'd like to donate to us, you can do so on patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to exclusive content like the Howard the Duck podcast that Lisa and I record, that we just had Corey here as a guest on our Howard the Duck the Movie episode, uh, which should be going up, I believe, later this week. That show is a lot of fun, and also there's a bunch of other content on there, and I haven't gotten around to it yet, although I did announce it on the last episode, but I will be putting out uh, new levels of donation rewards soon. So, get in on the ground floor. Well, the ground floor is not hot lava. Those TikTok videos aren't going to watch themselves. Oh, boy. I really hope people don't make us make TikTok videos, Corey. They can't make you do anything. Can I have your word on that? Sure. Thanks, Corey. Yep. All right. Guys, don't make up doing anything. Yeah. Doing things is invariably the worst part of my day. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
boy, Corey, I don't know if the, <laughs> not the defense after dark is going to be sustainable. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I feel like you also keep saying, oh, our hosts are a little goofier than usual on this one. And I, I, it just yeah. keeps... It keeps being true. <laughs> Is there, ooh, ooh, look now, my back door. Yeah. Yeah. Elephants and Eskimos, watch Chico and the man. Toto wrote the music score for Dune. Dune, Dune, Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? They did, yeah. What? I know. <laughs>